Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, Meredith Oak, QBC co-founder and executive coach with a friendly reminder, podcasts are conversations, not consultations. So if you're looking for a practitioner, check out our directory at www.quantumbiologycollective.org. Dr. Candace Knight knew she wanted to become a doctor from the age of seven, but medical school turned out to be only the beginning of her journey. After working as chief resident in a community hospital, Dr. Knight began to sense the limits of the allopathic approach, and she shifted into functional medicine, looking to find the root cause of the chronic conditions plaguing her patients. This shift, while getting her closer to her goal, still felt incomplete and led her to a deep dive into the study of quantum biology, where her whole perspective changed, along with the results her patients were getting. In this amazing conversation, Dr. Knight walks us through the mindset shifts that led her from a traditional medical career to becoming the founder of a quantum longevity clinic. Enjoy. Hello, Dr. Candice Knight. I'm so excited to do this with you. Welcome. Thanks, Meredith. It's so good to see you too. Okay. Yeah. So as I was just saying, it's one of the best things about doing weird things is that you meet other people who are also <laughs> doing weird things and, and then you get to know them and it adds value to your life in so many ways. So absolutely, you are one of those people. So, okay. So Candice, I've, um, got to know you a little bit. I'd love to know you better, but what I know about you is that you're like extremely diligent and you like to be really, really good at your job. Uh, <laughs> so tell me sort of how that played out and why you chose to get into medicine in the first place. So um, for everyone listening, Dr. Uh, Candace Knight is an MD and started out in the very traditional world, doing all the things required for that. Absolutely. So um, it actually started when I was uh, seven years old. My grandfather had um, pretty awful uh, congestive heart failure. And our side, that side of the family in particular has really, really bad heart disease. So he was the youngest of um, about seven children and all of his brothers died in their forties of a heart disease. Wow. All and of them. All That's of them. crazy. All of them. And by um, 55, he had his fourth heart attack and had pretty significant ischemic cardiomyopathy. And um, luckily for him, the medicine was changing rapidly and he was offered to get on the wait list for a heart transplant. Wow. Okay. You know, when I was younger, I you don't, you don't have the perspective. It's your grandfather. So that's it. Right. But like, I think about the fact that, geez, he was not that much older than my husband, you know, when, yeah. when this happened, but, um, God, that's young had a pretty, yes. Had a pretty significant heart attack that time. I mean, they all were bad. And, um, we got on the wait list and he had to go to Houston and with them being such a big part of my life. I mean, I saw my grandparents pretty much every single day, it was really traumatic for them to just even move to a different state, much less not know what was going to happen. Um, and they weren't very optimistic at the time, you know, because they're waiting for a match. You don't know how long it's going to take, but luck would have it blessings, whatever you want to call it. He actually got a heart, um, in a very short amount of time. 
So he, it was less than a year for sure that he was in Houston, got the heart transplant. And um, it was just really profound for me as a little girl to see the difference because I didn't really have the perspective of how sick he was. I mean, you know, you're trying to process at seven years old that Papa is sick, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I saw him well after the surgery that I really understood, oh, like your skin is a whole different color now. It's not ashen gray and you have a lot more energy than you used to. And you're not, you know, gasping for breath, which I didn't even know that's what he was doing until I saw him well. Mm -hmm. And I remember standing in the hospital telling my mom, you know, I'm going to do this with my life. I'm going to become a doctor and I'm going to help other people, you know, keep their people that they love around for a long time. And so that's what I set out to do. And she said that I never wavered from that, from the second I said that at seven years old, it was always school. I know I knew I had to study hard. I knew I had to do all these things to get to this ultimate goal. And he used to always joke with me and call me doc and ask for a massage or ask for some type of love and nurturing I was, as I was going through it. Unfortunately, he didn't mm-hmm. live long enough to see me uh, finish med school, but I know that, you know, he's with me. And um, he, we got a, a lot longer than we ever expected to um, to have with him because they told us, you know, at the time, this was relatively new. We could mm-hmm. expect to have another nine or 10 years out of it. And um, he lived for 15 Wow. So that was a blessing. He passed when I was in college. And um, that whole experience with him has sat with me my entire life. You know, I I think about him a lot. And I think about how if we had known certain things before, even with the family history, mm-hmm. it could have been different. You know, the same thing with yeah. my grandmother, his, his wife, who passed away a few years before that. She was always healthy, um, at, at least so we thought until she died unexpectedly of cancer. So that losing them and now reflecting back on things that could have been done differently to extend their life has sits with me, you know, through all these years. But I went to um, went to college, spent some time with some mentors that were physicians in different fields. And I remember one of them told me, Candy, you know, I know that you um, are motivated by your grandfather and that you know, you're sitting here saying you're going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. He said, but you know, you're pretty soft hearted and present with your patients. And he said, I'm just going to tell you that, um, even though your experience was good, that field is not a happy field most of the time. So you might (laughs) think that. (laughs) I did. That's really funny because when I was introducing you and I was talking about your diligence and your, and your standards of excellence. I was like, I should have also said, but you're also a very warm and funny person. <laughs> like, <laughs> so your, men- your mentors caught that. Okay. Yes. He was very, very perceptive. And I, I, when I really thought about that, I said, you know, I really don't think I can emotionally handle losing people frequently. So I, I, he was yeah. right. And okay. um, I went to medical school and in medical school, honestly, I thought there was I, there was a time when I thought I was going to be an OBGYN. There was a time that I thought I was going to be a dermatologist. Um, with OB, they um, and my my another one of my mentors, who's actually my OBGYN still to this day, told me. She said, "You know, your husband's an ER doctor. I know how you are. You're very present with everyone that crosses your path." <laughs> she said, "So I want you to think about it's your kid's second birthday party." 
and you have a patient call and say, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being delivered and you're not going to want to leave, but you're not going to want anybody else to deliver your the, the patient either. So what are you going to do? And she said, and, by, and as far as you and your husband go, do you guys ever want to see each other? Because <laughs> an OB schedule, it's not a good match. She said, I don't have kids. So I thought about that and I was like, oh, she's right. And then, you know, something really funny happened because I was, um, you know, in medical school, we have to get assigned to these clinical rotations and some of them are mandatory. So family medicine is mandatory. And I got assigned to um, a rotation out in the country in Louisiana that practices true cradle to the grave medicine, not the typical um, city family medicine where you refer out a lot because we didn't really have the luxury of doing that. And because the community that this uh, place is located has a lot of farmers and a lot of people spending a lot of time outside. They also don't live very healthy lives. Um, we saw a lot of skin issues. And so they actually had a dermatology clinic in mm -hmm. the res located within the residency program. And the residents were the residency director at the time was really, really well-versed in dermatolo dermatology, dermatologic procedures mm -hmm. that was incorporated into this cradle to the grave experience. Right. Right. So I, it captured my heart in a way that I did not expect. Yeah. Um, I was like, you know, this is what I thought of when becoming a doctor because we'd see, you know, the child, the parents and the grandparents all in this clinic. So it was very family oriented. Truly, oh, wow. I think family medicine would be. Yes. And um, I kind of fell in love out there. So I remember coming home and saying, so I think that I'm going to, do family medicine. And I kind of want to do it at LSU's program out here in Bogalusa. And my husband was like, where? And have you lost? <laughs> and he was working at a different hospital, you know, um, at the time, but it's funny because life, life is funny. You know, life is so funny. Yeah. So I ended up going out there for a second rotation. And this time someone came and asked me if, um, that the work, they said that, do you think your husband would come work here? Because the word on the street is that, you know, um, he's really good at fixing ER is making them run smoothly. And I'm like slim to none. Cause I remember that conversation, yeah. <laughs> I said, but you can call him. And Meredith, it was so funny because like, before I could blink my eyes, he had the job before I even matched. And then the match <gasps> went really, and we were both out there and we moved out there and we lived out there and became part of the community the, for quite some time. Wow. So, you know, that's how that worked out. And when I, when I went to residency, I um I was totally immersed in just being a resident at the time. You know, I mean, you're working mm -hmm. crazy long hours. And at one point when I first started, we didn't even have a full complement of physicians to relieve us. So when the interns were taking call, for example, I didn't necessarily get to go home post-call. There were some days where I was literally at the hospital for 40 hours straight, you know, just wow. Days before and I so this see. this is after Bogalusa or or during Bogalusa, this is in this Bogalusa. is the hospital in Bogalusa. Okay, yeah. so um, there was just a lot of a lot of abuse to the body. Needless to say, especially in light yeah. of what I now, uh, in fluorescent lights and no sleep and um, staying inside all day and forget about nourishment. I mean, there were times where I was like sucking down caffeine and just like on the wards doing rotations at four o'clock in the morning in the ICU. I mean, like it just, you do what you do. Um, wow. but I didn't really process it as much because I was kind of in survival mode during those years. But mm -hmm. when I became chief resident is when I really started thinking about the responsibility of educating the next generation. And then it's no longer just about you 
And I stayed as faculty for a little bit after two, after I graduated. And it became very apparent then because I, I had time to like, oh, I can think about things and breathe a little bit. And I saw how limited my toolbox was for chronic illness in particular, and even not even necessarily completely decompensated chronic illness, but just complaints, you know, like people, mood issues or minor inflammatory complaints, young people that just didn't feel well. And I knew a lot of times that something wasn't right, but I couldn't put my finger on it with what I, with the tools I was given. Mm -hmm. And I actually started to get a little bit upset about it because I was like, you know, why did I do this if I can't help people? And, um, Thankfully, you know, I've been very blessed throughout my entire experience with practicing medicine and even just in my life where the universe lays in front of me what my next step is a lot of times when I'm least Mm -hmm. expecting it. So here I am having these conversations, having these existential conversations with mom about like, maybe I shouldn't have become a doctor. And I, lo and behold, I I get um, a thing in the mail from Scripps Integrative Health about a supplement conference. And this is telling you how reductionistic my thinking is at this point, because I'm like, oh, okay, maybe there's some supplements that I need to add to add to add. (laughs) This must be it. So I go to this conference. And of course, it's all about what supplements have gone through the more rigorous scientific research for Mm -hmm. diagnosis or that. But in the um, conference exhibit hall, IFM had a stand and they uh, struck up a conversation with the lady and she was talking about getting to the root cause instead of symptom management. And of course that resonated with me. Right. So IFM is the Institute of Functional Medicine. Yes. Okay. Yes. So lo and behold, they had their next conference on hormones in New Orleans. Like, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to it and, um, the rest was history as far as that goes. I mean, like I, I took a couple of years to go through their process. They didn't have the options that they have now about doing things live streamed and whatnot. So um, I had to actually physically go to each module and learn about it, but became certified in that and practiced that type of medicine for a while, years, you yeah. know, um, tried to incorporate that into academia, wasn't necessarily successful with that. I had a hospital system that I think was more enamored with the trend of an integrative medicine and how putting that label on things was going to attract patients. And they, they let me do what I wanted to do, so to speak until I got there. And the reality of it was that the churn and burn, they still wanted me to do, you can't do in that model, because if I'm going to get to know mm-hmm. my patient, I can't spend five minutes with them. Yeah. So a few years later, we butt heads to the point that I had to leave. And okay. I started, you know, what was night integrative medicine at the time we have evolved since then, but, um, started a fully functional medicine practice with my sister. And that's a whole nother story. If you want me to get into yeah. it. I want. So I just want to, uh, just take a minute to go dig down a little. So when you're doing like an allopathic traditional mm-hmm. medical approach on a patient who say has a chronic illness or a common complaint, as you mentioned, it's like, you have a very limited amount of time. And what is your sort of goal as a doctor to figure out if they need a prescription? And if so, which one? Or sort of what toolbox were you working with when you say it was limited? Or the workup. So basically, if you really want to get granular with it, the patient comes in and they give you this, you know, set of symptoms. Yeah. Filtering through in your head, what you're, what we call a differential diagnosis. This set of symptoms is most likely this, this, or this. Sometimes 
I can determine just from looking at it or what the person has, what they, what the diagnosis is. Sometimes I need further workup. So if I need certain labs to differentiate between this ICD-10 code and this ICD-10 code and this ICD-10 code, the insurance companies or the quote unquote standard of care has a workup that they will approve based on this sort of set of symptoms to help you differentiate what the diagnosis is. Once you get the diagnosis, then yes, you match the diagnosis with whatever pill or procedure or surgical intervention there is to manage it. Okay. And then in the functional model, we're, we're expanding the toolbox. So it's for, you get more time with the patient. Yes. The interventions are not going to be pharmaceutically based. That's so right. Tell us a little more about that. So in functional medicine, I would say that um, the structure is actually very similar. It's just that I am extremely limited with in a traditional model as far as if I have these symptoms, I'm extremely limited in what's available to treat those symptoms and also what's available to work it work up those symptoms if I needed to work up. So because functional medicine is expanding a little bit deeper into this systems biology conversation, let's say, for example, I have a patient with um, Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, autoimmune hypothyroidism, right? In the conventional model, like they don't really care once you know that it's autoimmune. It's like, okay, well, it's autoimmune. You know, you can do an ultrasound to check on things here and there, but here's the medication regimen. I don't even really need to expand and do an expanded thyroid workup on the person even to monitor them because they don't care about any of that. They care about the fact that we approve that you can give them T4 and you can check the T4 and the TSH and that's it. In functional medicine, we've expanded a little bit to say, hey, I can actually look beyond the thyroid and I should, because we know that with autoimmune disease, you know, there's probably some gut dysfunction. There's probably um, some other things that can contribute to that gut dysfunction where the immune system predominantly lies. So I should look a little bit deeper. There's no room for me to do a gut workup on an autoimmune thyroid patient in the traditional model. Um, so we're expanding that viewpoint a little bit. And we're looking at biochemistry and what things could have affected the biochemistry to lead to this situation. So um, a lot of times you do get better results from functional medicine, but there's not always, and sometimes there is, but there's not always longevity to those results because we still were, like Dr. Cruz always says, there's, it was still a half truth. There, there was an, It was an expanded truth from conventional medicine, mm -hmm. but we were missing a large portion of the control system for the physiology. So I think they've done a good job about laying, laying out the biochemistry and what reactions are actually occurring. Nobody's really arguing with that, but what's driving, what, what's happening and when missing right. the conversation. And so if you don't have that major input to leverage, you're going to be limited with the outcome, even from a functional medicine standpoint. I do think that, you know, functional medicine mm -hmm because they're, they've been so um, immersed in the science too, like all of these, everything's converging now, which is a good thing, you know, yeah. and you're starting to see people be more open-minded to it, at least. Mm -hmm. So it's happening, but I knew that even then, you know, it, it's never been my thing to think that somebody needs to be dependent upon any type of um, exogenous intervention, at least, especially some complicated regimen for a long period of time. You know, sometimes even with quantum medicine, when we know what ideal is, we live in the modern world that's yeah. not ideal. So sometimes I have yeah. to debate around that, but sure. it's a different way of thinking. Right. Whereas the 
the supplements or the exogenous substances are looked at as more of a bridge to get out of a situation as opposed to like a, a life path. <laughs> exactly. I used, I, I kind of describe it now as green pharmacology because we we're still managing <laughs> symptoms to a degree, but those yeah. we're managing them safer and the patients don't have quite as many side effects as, as they do with some of these other things, you know? Right. So, okay. So, so we have the allopathic model, which is quite limited. It absolutely has its place in many situations, but I, what I've found interviewing people is that in the chronic illness, common complaint that you were talking about, allopathic medicine doesn't have much to offer. Correct. Okay. And then, so then we move into functional, which has expanded beyond just looking at the one symptom or the one place of where that symptom is occurring to a more holistic model, more time with the patient, um, a wider understanding of biochemistry, but still missing the piece of like, okay, so what's driving the biochemistry? A hundred percent. Okay. All right. So now take us to phase three. <laughs> so phase three, here I am, clinic in Covington, minding my business. And um, lo and behold, this wonderful, boisterous personality comes into the office one day. <laughs> Um, because he met a friend of uh, a, a colleague of ours, both of ours, and introduced himself, and that was Jack. And um, <laughs> needless to say, he was speaking a foreign language to me, and um, was very, very excited about this foreign language. He was, he was, <laughs> and I was, you know, very caught off guard because he has such a strong personality. Um, but clearly, he's brilliant. And you know, at first, we're like, "What is he talking about?" And then. Um, but then once we started delving into it and once I had some time to like, you know, look at some things and and talk to him about it, I was like, wow, this person has like really expanded my mind in a way that I, I, um, I didn't expect. And just like a lot of us that come into the world, especially through Jack, it takes time to navigate his language and like, you know, the, the density of the material he's giving you. So it took me, um, some time to really like figure out what all this means and how to assimilate it into, my practice, but I started dabbling in it and I started getting pretty amazing results. And then lo and behold, COVID happened. And um, during the pandemic, a lot of us had a lot more downtime to dig into things. And we also had a lot of opportunity to reflect on who we are as providers, what our role is in the community's health at large. And that had a tremendous impact on me just looking at how things unfolded and not being happy with the way things unfolded and um, questioning a lot about what my purpose is as a physician in someone's life. And this is where honestly longevity really came into play for me because I started really thinking about the fact that, Hey, and, and and look, I'm, I'm I'm blessed also to have this perspective because I'm married to an ER doctor who was on the front lines and we were going through this together a lot of unknowns in the beginning than understanding at least what virus we were dealing with and and navigating all of that. Um, Thinking about what's important. And the whole time, once again, you're seeing the traditional model wanting to fit everybody into a box, wanting to say like, oh, everybody that's this age is going to have this problem. And everybody that this is going to have this problem. And if you're this race, you're going to have this problem. And um, this socioeconomic status. And you, you you start to understand that it's not those silos that are really the issue. The issue is what's happening in these people's physiology as a whole. Because I remember my grandfather, who we joke in the family, is the um, 
original health nut. He's in his 80s now and still works every day and he doesn't look like he's in his 80s and it's cracking jokes about, you know, Alabama and LSU football and the NBA and all that on a regular basis. Um, and he called me and he said, we always spend Thanksgiving together. And he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to come this year because they're saying that we shouldn't, um, at my age, shouldn't be around other people. And I'm telling him, no, like that's, that's not the case because you are not a typical 85 year old. I was like, your immune system is way healthier. I mean, he ne he's never sick. He doesn't take any medication. Okay. Um, so we ended up coming anyway, and we had a great time, but that whole concept of chronologic versus biologic age really hit me hard because, you know, on the flip side of it, my husband is seeing 19 year olds succumb to this illness. And it was really, really frightening for him because he's before we had a label for it. And before we at least knew even what it was, he, I remember him coming home, just being like, I'm scared. You know, I don't know how to keep you guys safe because I'm seeing people half my age die every single day. He works in Mississippi and um, not notorious for not having the healthiest population, right? Mm -hmm. So as things unfolded, you know, you really began to understand that um, that there was some some elements of what is making certain people healthier and more resilient than others to mm -hmm. this illness. And those of us in this quantum world, you know, of course, it, we understood what it was. And I, I I finally understood on a deeper level that, hey, you know what? I don't necessarily have to pay so much attention anymore to like the name and blame situation that we have going on in medicine right now with what's this diagnosis and what's that. I really need to be thinking what is conferring resilience to certain people and what isn't because whatever is conferring this resilience that is making them function like a youthful person that is, you know, minor symptoms, they get, a, they get the flu and they get over it. That's what we need to really be focusing on in the practice. And Thankfully, you know, a lot of things converge all at the same time because um, the Nobel Prizes on chronobiology, the Nobel Prizes on autophagy and all these things were all coming into play, at least becoming trickling into our world around the same time that all of this happened. Right. So mm -hmm. I was able to really reevaluate everything that had happened over the previous years and figure out how do I how do I bring this to our practice? And and hence we have been doing that ever since slowly trying to get some insight into what's the best way to do it. Talking to the, talking to our patients, seeing the things that we were having trouble with in our world and night wellness was born. And so, you know, that's, that's really the next evolution of what we're doing. I'm, I'm really, really honing in on tying in everything we know about quantum medicine, how to take advantage of nature and syncing us back up with nature in order to had our physiology be functioning as optimally as possible. And thankfully the technology and the science has caught up to the fact that now I have a, a way to track this in people with diagnostics to see what's happening underneath the surface. And that's my accountability partner for the patient. Because once again, what you saw during um, the pandemic was that we think we want to treat everybody exactly the same. And that's just not the case. I mean, I can line up yeah. five, five year olds across and there's going to have, you know, some genetic, um, variability and how they're going to respond to certain nutrients and how what the volume of nutrients they need versus the next person. And even from, you know, a chronotype with, with sleeping and things like that, there's, there is some variability we have to, we have to factor in when we're sitting there with the person in front of us, hormonally, there's change, there's differences, mm -hmm. all of that. And that 
from a functional medicine standpoint, as far as personalized medicine and individuality, I think that's still permeating through everything that we do. Because now I just have a tremendous respect for the person in front of me versus what the textbook says. And the textbook, you know, will always be there as the catch all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I still have to practice acute care medicine. I don't want to. Um, but if somebody's sitting in front of me or if I find something on a workup that mm-hmm. is emergent or urgent, I mean, I have to deal with it. Yeah. And I do think that brings some comfort to the patients. I don't position myself anymore as, you know, the traditional primary care doctor, but I'm still able to have that conversation with them and put them in the right place. Should I come across something that needs the more urgent, you know, yeah, the more urgent care type of situation. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and yeah, that, that is peace of mind, I think for the patients, this is such an amazing story. I love your journey. It's so good. Okay. So, so let's dig into that a little bit. You've, you've left some clues with what you've been saying about resiliency and, you know, the quantum model versus the functional model. So sort of explain from, from your perspective, how you would how you would articulate the quantum model and what what it means to understand below or beyond the level of biochemistry. Well, I think that, you know, as far as the quantum model goes, it's um we have to understand that just like so many things in our world technologically and everything else um are reverse engineered from what limited view we have of our physiology. It's sort of like that. I mean, the science is is trying to catch up in quantum physics, especially, but we don't know everything. And it's very, very humbling to know that there's a lot of things going on um, beneath the surface that we're grazing the surface with the knowledge of it. However, what we do know is that we have our own built-in physician, so to speak. We have software in our physiology that's designed to regenerate and keep us well. So our job is to get the hell out of the way and let this thing run the way it's supposed to run. And the problem is that so much of what's present in the modern world interferes with that. And so what we see as quote unquote aging is really a malfunction in the system that is supposed to repair and keep us young. And so and when I say young, you know, of course, there's a there's a physical aspect of that too, which we can get into, but um, it's more of a functional aspect. Why are there certain places around the world where people are well over 100 and still contributing to society and to their families? And especially in the Western world, in the US, I mean, we if you exceed that average lifespan, which is abysmally low compared to what we're capable of, a lot of it is spent in a debilitated yeah. place. You know, where you don't know the people around you, where you can't function and you can't participate in life the way that you once did. So you get to the point where it's like, you know, what's the point? So I think that um, when we talk about quantum medicine, we we really want to realign with at least if we don't have all the knowledge of what's happening underneath the surface, we want to be able to let that system run as optimally as possible. So I can tell you since since the pandemic, when I've had people come in either post-vaccination or post-multiple bouts of the infection, and they have some mystery illness that they've seen multiple specialists for, and they're on this conglomeration of medications, and nobody can figure out what's happening because we don't have a label for it, whatever this is. 
it's not it's fitting outside the labels that we have for whether it's a vasculitis or a connective tissue disease or some type of you know neuroinflammation they feel very lost because it's like now I don't even know what I have so therefore the traditional model doesn't even pretend to have an answer for me um I've had many conversations with these patients to say look who cares we don't know what it is who cares if we make it go away and that is funny for me because Meredith just like you said like <laughs> I, I am probably overly controlling and like like to what I'm doing it like to have a textbook version this is why it's hilarious that I do what I do now because this is not my personality um but having this having to surrender to that and just say trust your body is is really is really what my job is my job is to teach p- patients how to listen to their body and get their body to heal them themselves and it's creating that trust that we have lost frankly i mean every time you turn on the tv every time you talk to the physicians it's like there's no hope there's no hope you have to yeah. you're just get this illness this is just it just happens it sucks you know and they disempower us so much to where we're dependent upon you yeah. know someone else to tell us what's going on even when we know a lot of times that that that, that isn't right that doesn't resonate and so we we tell our patients, look, if I ever tell you something that doesn't sound like it's the right thing, or, you know, I'm telling you that I want you to incorporate some habit that doesn't seem doable for you, you need to speak up because like, I, I'm not standing on high telling you what to do. This is just experience in a partnership. And I need us to communicate because thankfully we also know with the body's adaptability and resilience, there's more than one way to approach many, many different things mm-hmm. to get to where you need to go. And, and yeah. being okay with that there's a lot of re-education and unlearning that we have to do as physicians, but also as, as patients, you know, because we, right. we have so much insecurity now and distrust with our own intuition and our own bodies. Yep. Yes, that's so true. And on a quantum level, we, our intuition is really, really important. Yes. Absolutely. Like those little nudges of you know, like so often you hear people saying like, I didn't even know anything about this. I just thought like, I need to go for more walks or, you know, those little thoughts that come into our head, like, oh, why didn't you, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be on my phone at midnight. Like I'm going to stop right. doing that. Right. Like we need to listen. Whereas, yeah. Listen. And you're right. Like we've been trained to give physicians so much authority that we almost, it's like, we wait to see, to hear what they're going to say to, to decide how we're going to feel about what's going on. Exactly. And I think a lot of times they say there's no hope only because they have no answer. So they're just like, sorry, you're screwed. (laughs) But really what they're saying is, sorry, I don't know what to do because they're not taught. A lot of the times these people are not, it's not like the end of stage four cancer, right? It's like, like I have chronic something or rather, and my quality of life is low and they have no answers. (laughs) You're you're exactly right. And I think the biggest lesson I had to learn it's knowing my extra type A personality was being okay with that, being okay with not necessarily having every single answer, but learning how to trust this amazing body that we have in front of us and learn how to read the signals that it's telling us in order to just follow through with that. I don't necessarily have to have the finite answer because it doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant, honestly. But if I can take the dashboard lights, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and 
need to address something over here. Yes. Um, doing that for myself and with the patients goes a very long way in restoring their health. And, um, and it's a twofold thing because, you know, mindset, like you said, is such a big deal that when you start to understand that, number one, I don't have to have the answer, but I, if I have the trust that my body will do it and I just need to support my body, it's sort of like my role with the patient in front of me. It's the same thing. I am supporting them through this journey, but we're not going to always know the exact label or answer. And it's irrelevant because it goes away anyway. So yeah, you know, who cares? And I think that, you know, so you mentioned my mom, my mom has multiple sclerosis she has not progressed since, since her diagnosis, thankfully. And I think just, you know, me learning slowly about functional medicine and whatnot has helped her, but there were some setbacks during um, the pandemic with vaccination that I did not uh, necessarily want her to have, but mm -hmm. her physician um, encouraged her to do it. And the first time that she had a poor reaction, we weren't sure that it was from that because it, a lot of times what I'm finding with, with my patients too, is mm -hmm. that if they're going to have a reaction, it doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes it happens mm -hmm. a week, two weeks later. So the first time that she had a poor reaction, I didn't, necessarily know that it was because of that. The second time I was highly suspicious. And when she basically tumbled into profound fatigue, um, can you still hear me? Okay. Cause my phone rang, started ringing when she tumbled into prof profound fatigue. Um, after the first round, I mean, we were seeing other providers and getting advice and it was really eye opening for me that one of my colleagues told me that he thought it was, um, a vaccine response. Hmm. Um, and I eventually did everything that we know to do in the quantum mm -hmm. world to get her well, she recovered. Then she got another booster shot. Oh, these, doctors. <sighs> these doctors. So she had the same response, um, the second time. And it was around the same time frame too, from the injection. So the doctor that encouraged her to get this, um, now agreed that it was that and she can't get any more of them and whatnot, but it's been very difficult, you know, to have to deal with her suffering already, you know, but thankfully um, it's been really eye opening for her too, because not only with us getting super granular and aggressive with the things that we know to do in quantum medicine, you know, your, they're your parents, they don't always listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when she, when she finally started really buckling down with um, circadian rhythm and certain foods and, um, fasting protocols and whatnot, not only did it help her recover from the symptomatology from that, you know, acute assault, but some of the symptoms of MS started to improve markedly too. So, and it, the things that I couldn't necessarily get her to be diligent with, you know, a hundred percent get to that place of desperation. When you feel so poor after that response, she was able to do it. And yeah. then it's reinforcing herself. Cause honestly, I didn't expect her to I knew that if she stuck with it, she would get past this thing and that she would start improving the MS, but I didn't expect those symptoms to actually get better as quickly as they did. Wow. Once again, it's like, wait, you only did this like for um, a few weeks and now the balance is better and her speech was better. So it was really exciting for her to see that too. Yeah. Cause, and I remember you telling me this story. It's like, she was in a place where she, she just couldn't get out of bed anymore. And you were like, mom, instead of lying in bed, why don't you go lie in the backyard? Yep. 
Yep. And that, like, that was, that was the shift. That was the shift. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I was like, if you're going to just lie around all day, just get up and go lie on the bullshit, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, um, it's, it's sure enough, she slowly started to wake up. And then the things about that we talk about it as far as, you know, timing the eating in a certain way to where we're reinforcing mm-hmm. that circadian signal. Once we got her to do that, it was like, oh, you know. Wow. That, it was like a whole other level. It's a whole, it's a whole nother level. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And that same strategy is what helps pretty much anything that comes through your door. And you guys have experienced yeah. that already, you know, but I think as a physician that's still trying to unlearn a lot of the things, like, you know, in the back of your mind, like, am I still doing the right thing with the patient or should I be giving them this medication or something like that? You know, you're still really humbled by the experience of like seeing this unfold before you with pick a diagnosis, you know? Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I'm like, I wonder what it, how it feels as a, as a physician and you spent so many years learning so many different things and it's like, to watch someone spend time outdoors and time they're eating differently. (laughs) And that's what, that's what moves the needle. Like in some ways it's, I think that the growth of this is a bit slower because it's so freaking simple. (laughs) It's like the, the symptoms and the conditions are so complex, but these these starting point solutions are so simple. You, you actually nailed it. It's simple, not easy. And so, you know, when I see, um, when I see all of this, you know, now the latest trend is longevity and Mm -hmm. everyone's talking about how do I, you know, reverse age and there's conversations about, you know, exosomes and stem cells and peptides and hormones. And, you know, the disappointing thing for me is that I see a lot of this stuff pop up in our community and it's like, you know, fillers in your face and this yeah. laser and this and that. And, um, and I have patients that come in and lead with that. And it's, it's tough to have those conversations to be like, Hey, I incorporate all those things into the practice, but you need to have this foundation first. And that's been hard. It's been the culmination of me, like really um, having to have the resolve to stand my ground about what I know is best. And if I'm not the right yeah you know, flavor for you or whatever you, you just need to go somewhere else because like, I just believe so strongly in it that it's important for us to have our tribe be willing to commit to, Hey, I'm going to build this strong foundation because that is how we're going to make a difference in our world and in, and in health. And, you know, it's not the best thing, I guess, for as far as a business strategy goes, but like, (laughs) but, but it's never been about that. I mean, Dana and I always So this has always been mission oriented for us. And we just keep saying that like, hey, it's all going to work out in the end, but we've got to stand our ground because people need to understand just that we can't keep chasing after the fanciest um, shiny new object and disregard the, the therapy that is available around us in nature and stand our ground about stop, you know, not having our world be destroyed by all of these things that are disrupting our connection to nature. So unless we you know, really make an effort to do, to put those foundations in. And then, yes, I'm happy to layer in some other things that I think could accelerate the process for you, Mm -hmm. but it's important for us that our patients have that commitment. I'm not really about the person coming in and just being like, I want this prescription. I want this fancy thing. And then I want to go about my business and never talk to you again, or just pop up when I need, when I need that again, but I don't want to commit 
other changes because they're doing them they're themselves a disservice that I frankly don't want to be attached to because yeah. I feel like that that's not the right thing. It's just not right. Yeah. So I don't want to do it. Good for you. I think it's a great business strategy. <laughs> you are going to be trusted, which is huge. And it's true. I mean, we talk a lot about like the artificial light at night and things like that in terms of how bad it is for your health. But I don't know if I've talked much about how bad it is for your aging process. <laughs> and yes. you really decided to focus on that. So I could, I totally see your point. It's like, it's hard to take someone's money to do interventions on them when you know that their lifestyle is working against everything and they accelerating the aging of every part of their body <laughs> from a subatomic level on up. Um, so I, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. So talk to us about longevity. It's become the focus of your practice and how, how you see that from a quantum level, like how does nature help us maintain a, well, there, there's so many things. Okay. So I think about the fact that number one, everybody wants to look younger, right? Yeah. So um, the papers that are <laughs> coming out just about skin health and um, what, how to leverage the light environment to improve the skin health. Cause we've been told everything about the sun being too damaging. So like avoid it at all costs mm. yet we're aging rapidly. Why? You know, so as far as leveraging the light environment, leveraging the sleep situation so that we're optimizing autophagy and um, reducing the toxins, eating eating in a way that is reinforcing that circadian signal. So we're eating unprocessed food. We're eating food that grew in the light environment that we're in. All of those things are enhancing these processes of regeneration and self-healing that thankfully now, I mean, we have studies that are showing that when you incorporate these behaviors, we're seeing improvement in the skin. And now thanks to technology, there are even you know skincare lines and whatnot that incorporate peptides that are reinforcing this behavior. But you know, having to tell a patient that um, avoiding the sun is actually going to make you look worse and age you more rapidly is 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 definitely something that we are all like trying to navigate now because the messaging is the direct opposite of that. Yes. But again, we want to be in this situation constantly a traditional model of everything is all or nothing. And we take for granted that patients are, when they're empowered and educated, they're quite capable of making decisions that um, are going to help them reach the health outcome that they want. I think a lot of my colleagues say stuff like, well, I don't have time and the patient is not going to understand it. Well, it's our job to make them understand it. They don't need to necessarily know every detail and every chemical that's happening, but you can definitely explain things in a way for them to understand um, just the conversation around sunscreen, which we know is as toxic as can be for the most part, you know, even when we're trying to use it in a positive way or we're using um, the least toxic forms that we can, but not having a conversation with them about infrared light, basically being nature sunscreen and knowing how to leverage that and building a solar callus and helping you tolerate UV light more. Because when we talk about, you know, the eye and the skin, and their roles in the neuroendocrine system about dampening inflammation and directing traffic in the right way. Um, nobody ever has that conversation about, you know, nobody has a conversation about the skin and they're not understanding that, you know, our skin is basically a second eye. So just like we've learned all these things about 
the eye transmitting, you know, timing and, and communicating to the brain to, to do all of these wonderful things for our physiology. We're not talking about how the skin is the same way. So if you don't get that signal, you're actually reducing the amount of therapy that you're getting to keep you young. So of course, you don't want to go outside and expose the skin to UV radiation beyond its tolerance, but that's never been the, the conversation. I mean, even mm-hmm. the study for, for, for a long time that have said sun exposure is causing these problems, it, it never said sun exposure is causing the problems. It said excessive sun exposure to the point of burning is causing the cancers and all those other things. Mm-hmm. But somehow that got translated into just never go outside, always yeah. cover your eyes, always cover cover your skin. Whereas we try to tell the patients, Hey, prudent sun exposure. And let me show you how to be able to tolerate more of it because the, the, the benefits far outweigh the risks when you're doing it the right way. And that's also from an aesthetic standpoint, because you and I both know that the people in our world that are doing this the right way, look younger, the skin yeah. doesn't look bad, you know, well, and a lot of times we've had skin conditions that actually we're told that we're going to be exacerbated by sunlight that got better when they yes. more sun. Even the even the pigmentary disorders. So right. why is that? And again, that is unlearning what we've been taught and teaching patients how to trust. But is it it is our job to um to educate them. The other part of it, Meredith, is that as much as we love the sun we have to understand that we still have other responsibilities besides just going out and exposing ourselves in the sun. Because if you live a life that is, you know, generating a lot of oxidative stress, otherwise um, you're still not going to be able to maximize the benefit of even the quantum, the quantum exposures, right? right? If I'm eating fast food every single day, but I have the perfect sun regimen, I mean, I can probably tolerate more of it than somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't, but there's still going to be an excess amount of inflammation that's generated that you're trying to ask this therapy, the sun to scavenge. I I still have a responsibility in all aspects of life to try to dampen that inflammatory signal and enhance the signal of healing. And so when we talk about nutrition and all those other things that um, really have permeated the conversation in functional medicine before quantum medicine became a thing, um, it's important for us to say, hey, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. All of those other things are still important. It's it's just that, again, they were only part of a, a much bigger picture. And we have to take responsibility of taking in every aspect of that picture that is within our control because there's so many things in the modern world that are not in our control. And as much as we like to say, yes, all of us would love to go like move out to the woods, be close to the equator and all those other things, it's not realistic all the time. Yeah. So how do I maximize my environment with, with what I have control over and with this knowledge that I have? That is really what I take on as my responsibility with the person in front of me. You know? Yeah. And it's such a, I mean, it's such a, an empowering approach, right? Because the, the person is leaving with lifelong life-enhancing skills, and an understanding of why, and it's it's a small change can make such a big difference. Like just being like, Oh, I won't look at my phone after seven o'clock anymore. (laughs) And if I have to, I'll make it red. Like just that one thing, like that could have made you maybe just added 10 years, who knows to your life. A hundred percent, you know, and I, I love the facts. I love that (laughs) I'm a nerd that the science now is for me to be like, let's check on it, you know? So I think 
it was really reinforcing when um, my husband did a biological age test and look, he's an ER doctor. They work in, they work in the hospital. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. I try to offset things with photobiomodulation and other things as much as I can for him. And like all these other things that we're talking about. And, but we all know that um, first line doctors, first line responders, and people who have these crazy schedules, surgeons and whatnot, yeah. things working against them. Right. So yeah. we, we did a, a true age test on him. And I sat down with, um, one of the ladies that um, is a founder of the company and we were going through his stuff and she was just like, can you tell me again? Like, what the, what are you doing? Because when his immune system was like half of his age, she couldn't fathom that because she'd never seen an ER. She's like, you're an ER doctor. You should be shredded. (laughs) Your immune system should be in tatters. (laughs) Especially after, um, especially after the pandemic and stressed out as they all were. Yes. Like, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I was shocked too. I knew it was gonna be better than expected, but I didn't expect it to be that good because I know the stress burden um, that he carries. But then I think about, hey, you know, all the things that you do that most people are not disciplined enough to do. And I'm like, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, I know there's probably a genetic component to it too, but um, but wow, it was pretty impressive. And so he does like, circadian time dating and you know healthy light habits and yes mitigating blue light as as much as he can and at night as much as he can I um it's still not even it's still not even as uh as perfect as you would like and that's that's the other thing that I think we have to tell our patients too is that like I, I have to reinforce this all the time especially because Dana jokes with me about how you know they tell me what I want to hear and then they go to her and they're like yeah you know, whatever, whatever. Right. So I'm not to like yes. say. No, yeah. And that's a really good point. Cause you're, you do the doctoring and your sister does the coaching. Right. Yeah, and I exactly. love, love, love that combination. Cause we all go to our doctors. I do it too. And they, <laughs> and the doctors are like, do this and this and this and this and this. I say, okay. I'm like, have you been doing this and this and this? Yes. Okay. Bye. Bye. And then you go to the coach. It's like, well, <laughs> okay I mean I did it a little bit but then you know this happened and then there's that and I'm wondering about this <laughs> exactly but we've just been so trained not to go there with doctors because you're all so busy and what or you know or you're you're the authority or whatever it is so I love that you have that you have your sister there to do the coaching because this is. is so lifestyle based that I think you you almost have to have a coach you all you have to yeah. you have to and it, it's a twofold thing number one meeting people where they're at, because I'm not, I'm an all or nothing type of person, but like, you know, not everybody is, and that's okay. Because what I've transitioned to tell people now is that, Hey, number one, we're more resilient than you think. It's not like you have to be perfect doing just some of these things. You're you're amazed at what starts to happen with your physiology. I mean, like, let's face it. When we first started exposing ourselves to just morning sunlight, was it not remarkable? Yes. I mean, you're like, all I did was roll out of bed and go outside with a cup of tea and sit on the ground and like watch. And it's it, and within a few days, you're like, I feel like a different person, you know, yes. yeah. and you haven't even addressed anything else. So I I try to reinforce that, like every step that you take in the right direction, our, our bodies are just incredible. They want yeah. to heal. They want to be youthful. They want to function. That's what we're here to do. And so trying to tell the patient like Rome wasn't built in a day, number one. Mm-hmm. But every step that you take is there's a ripple effect throughout your entire yeah. system that is going to start experiencing benefit. And um, 
telling them you're not judging you. You know, I don't do everything yeah. perfectly either. You know, yeah. I sometimes I'm at a basketball game at 10 30 at night, so I don't have a yeah. choice. You know, like, <laughs> it is what it is. And it's okay because when you're doing the things that are bringing you joy, for example, mm-hmm. the hormonal and physiological undercurrent with just that is conferring resilience also. So it's not about, yeah, right. I live in Louisiana, right? I mean, like we're, we're in the place where people are all about like the party and the indulgent food, I'm, <laughs> you know, so I don't want to rob my patients of that, but I want them to understand that do that. But then when you have the opportunity to do, to make the right choices and you don't have those distractions going on, make those right choices. Cause every time that you make that right choice, you're putting money in the bank account, so to speak, to confer right. that result. And that's what we need. But um, but I cannot actually overestimate enough what having a coach um in my practice does and having my sister, she's a she's incredible at what she does. I mean, really, really incredible. And I have so much respect for her. And I don't think my practice could run without her because like she what she does for my patients is invaluable. It's one thing to have the knowledge. And yes, I'm all about that. I'm interpreting the labs and that's fun for me. But I see people, you know, even my physician patients' eyes glaze over sometimes and they're like, (laughs) talking about, you know, (laughs) what does it actually mean from a practical standpoint? And that's really what's important. It's like, we have to start. Some of us are really, really into like all of this intense science, fine. But you don't need to know that to know the practicality of it because we joke about this all the time. At the end of the day, it's basically what my grandmother made us do, right? Like you woke yeah. up in the morning, you ate breakfast, you had you brought your behind outside, and you didn't come in until the sun went down, and um, you you like ate dinner, and then she was like, "The kitchen's closed. You need to go to bed and wind down." And for some reason, <laughs> that's become a foreign concept. I don't, but no, all of those things about like sleep hygiene and stress management. You need to take a nap and wind down all those things. Like I, I, I don't understand why it's such a hard thing for people, but it is. And we've got to say, look, that is therapy in and of itself. And it's therapy that nothing can touch. And I can tell you when Kara Fitzgerald's papers came out, you know, the first one, a few years ago, the one most recently that they repeated the study in women with just, again, all the things that we're talking about, lifestyle medicine, reversing biological age by years and years and years in a matter of two months, that was repeatable. Wow. Medication. And they didn't even stress, um, they stressed the circadian stuff to a certain degree, but not to the level that, you know, and I think about the amount of reversal that patients got in their biological age, the amount of cellular rejuvenation that occurred in a matter of weeks with no medications, no fancy peptides, no hormone prescriptions. So if I can tell the patient, look at what happened from just this foundation, everything else I layer on bonus, great. But when you, you have to be humbled by the fact that doing all these things that inherently our ancestors knew, confers that much benefit to you is not it's not arguable anymore it's there we know it right so Amazing. i'm doing it if i don't re- reinforce that that was yeah shifting. that's huge i didn't really i don't know those papers that's like unbelievable you. yeah please it's do unbelievable a few years ago the first one they did was in men mm-hmm. and um they did that because you know we wanted to take out the confounding of women's hormones because we're all in a different phase at different ages. Yeah. 
Right. That was mind blowing when that paper was published, but then she repeated it and in women and it got published this year. And oh my gosh, Meredith, you had like a four and a half on average, some people up to 12 year age reversal in eight weeks. I mean, wow. You can't really argue. And you're talking about, so everyone obviously has a chronological age that, you know, it is what it is. Um, But you're talking about a a biological age and there are certain metrics used to measure that. And that went backwards. Backwards. In eight weeks. A a child would look, youth. Back to what we see in youth. Because what was really evolving in the science up until, you know, these papers were published and she's done a lot of work in in this field anyway, on the tangential side of it was, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about methylation a lot, right? These tags that we put on our DNA that turn it off. Um, What the longevity science was showing while she was studying just how certain lifestyles impact that process. But the longevity science showed that there are certain patterns of where these tags are placed on your DNA Mm-hmm. that are recognizable based on chronological age. A youthful paradigm looks like this pattern. And for the most part, the youth is associated with resilience, dampening inflammation, you know, dampening cancer, um, oncogenesis, autoimmune disease, things like that. And as we age, those tags shift to where we're more promoting of inflammation and promoting of these unsavory processes. But when you incorporate certain habits, you actually change the tags back to what they look like when you were young, where you're not fostering an environment for these things to, you know, manifest themselves and then stay. Wow. So it's just, whoa. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, this is incredible. I was like, no wonder it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It doesn't matter because if your DNA is turned into a place where it doesn't foster information, who cares if your genetic weakest link was cardiovascular inflammation and the next one is a brain and the next one is, yeah. You know, thyroid inflammation, it doesn't matter because now we're really far enough upstream to where your DNA is like, hey, I got this. We need a reverse tide. I'm not welcoming to this stuff. And then when you incorporate these other habits that are constantly putting you in repair mode, I think about the kids, right? Like, you know, they get, yeah. they get some injury, they break a foot. I had yeah. one break twice this year in basketball. And the orthopedic surgeon was joking with me about it. He was like, to be healed like tomorrow. <laughs> right. Essentially, that's what happens compared to the adults. Wow. And why is that? Because they're programmed for that to happen. But we all have the capability of that. Wow. So now we're really getting to the root cause. Yes. As now- promised. So the beautiful part about merging quantum medicine, all the things that we have experienced over the years of seeing that it works, now we were able to marry some of this with the diagnostics that are showing you what's working in real time. So you can say like, oh, I actually, I changed these habits and look, it's working. So it's it's still giving giving nerds like me and patients the opportunity to see like, okay, I, I still have an objective way of seeing yes. this, not in my head. Because, you know, we get yeah. We're like, I sat outside for three days and suddenly I'm sleeping better and my hormones are more balanced. It's like, well, now you can see it. Yeah, it's there. So it's so exciting. I mean, it's it's so humbling and exciting and empowering to be able to give people hope no matter what they walk in with. It's um, it's It's what I always wanted to do. You know, it's really why I became a doctor, the empowering aspect of it. 
it wasn't necessarily even about having all the answers. Um, I felt the responsibility of having all the answers when I always imagined what a doctor was because I saw what happened with my grandfather. But now it's like working in tandem with the body's physician and just saying like, hey, you can trust yourself. Like we, our bodies are remarkable. And I thrive off of seeing people light up and seeing them become their full potential because now their body's cooperating and my mind is clearer. I have hope again. So now like, what is my purpose on this planet? And you're seeing them find that and thrive and thrive in relationships all of a sudden become better mothers, you know, um, enjoy life. And that is what Dana and I just absolutely adore building these relationships and, um, especially, especially for women, because we are so used to self-sacrifice, I guess is the best way to say it. You know, we, we're always nurturing everybody else and we forgot how to do it for ourselves. And then you reach the certain age where you're like, oh, you know, I yeah. don't feel beautiful anymore. I'm seeing these changes. My, my hormones aren't cooperating. Like, you know, wh- what is happening? I don't even know my body anymore. And to be able to, to tell them, hey, you've done your duty. You have these amazing families that you've built and mm-hmm. these amazing careers, but like, it's not the end. We can reverse the tide and you watch it happen in real time. And it's just, um, it's such a gift. It's, it's my love language is just the nurture and the love and like to giving that and to, for Dana and I to be able to do it together. Cause we've been so lucky to have each other throughout life, but also just to grow up in a family that gave so much of that to us that it's fully equipped us to be able to do it for our tribe. And, um, I, that's, that's really the, the best gift that I could have ever gotten in my career is to be able to, to, to be able to do that. It really is a gift, Candace. It really it is. is. And I'm just, you know, I'm tearing up a little because I just think this is so profound and this is what a true physician is, is to help someone heal themselves. And I have, you know, I've reached an age where I have so many friends. I was, I went to my hometown a few months ago and saw lots and lots of women that I've known my whole life. And for the first time ever, every single conversation involved some kind of health problem. Mm-hmm. My, you know, ev- all of it. And we're all like reaching an age where, you know, it's like you push and go and do it and do it. And then at a certain point, your body's like, no more. Yep. And the, and, uh, and there's not a lot of good answers and everyone's exhausted. Yes. It, and, <laughs> and, and they lose yeah. hope. And we're at that age now where unfortunately we're seeing some people get really, really sick and like, you know, we lose some people and we, we shouldn't have to do that. You know, it's just, it's, it's not necessary. It's not what nature intended. It's not the way that we're designed. And once we can spread the word for people to understand that aspect of it, and they have way more control over this than they think, um, you're going to see the world change. And I, I, like you said, I feel really, really blessed that I found, um, quantum biology collective and like found this tribe. So, I mean, kudos to you for what you created, because even I think a lot of us in functional medicine, I mean, a lot of us have similar stories about why we became physicians, how this evolved, how we found the next evolution of it. But all of us realize that like, we're still missing the boat somewhere. I mean, I had that nagging sensation for a really, really long time because Mm -hmm. 
when I really thought about what it meant to be a healer as a little girl, that sounded a little bit idealistic, but what this, the gift that this has given me, the gift that Jack introduced into my life when he came into the office was that it actually wasn't naive at all. <laughs> you know, what, yeah. what I imagined as a child, um, this magical thing that physicians do, like is actually not as far-fetched as the world has be- led us to believe. Um, it's what's far-fetched is thinking that like some pill or some injection or something <laughs> is gonna fix all your problems. That sounds yeah. insane when we know what yeah. we know, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 it's insane. But I can tell you it just in, in um as far as longevity goes, you know, another big conversation is cognition and mm-hmm. also yeah. like a really big thing, right? Yeah. Well, I remember at an IFM conference several years ago when Dr. Bredesen, who um is kind of a big deal in the world of Alzheimer's in particular, um, first presented his work on reversing Alzheimer's. And I remember him standing on the stage saying, you know. I'm a, I'm an MD, but I'm a hardcore researcher. And if you would have told me 30 years ago when I started researching this, that I was going to stand up and tell you that we could reverse Alzheimer's with like dampening inflammation, with good sleep, with all these other things that all of us know. He said, I would have told you you lost your damn mind, you know? And he said, now I'm understanding that we have a roof with 36 holes in it. And um, if you plug up one hole with like Namenda or one of the drugs that we use for Alzheimer's, he was like, the floor is still going to get wet because it's the same concept. You know, if I'm not addressing all of these things that are inducing damage and not allowing the body to do what it needs to do, you're not going to recover. But um, but if I am thinking about all of these things that are going to give me the most bang for my buck it makes sense that you're starting to reverse this. And at, and, and then Meredith, even sitting there watching the films of the patients before and after experiencing treatment. And this was like, so, so much earlier than all the things that we know now and what we're mm-hmm. talking about. But I remember sitting there just tearing up because you're seeing people who can barely function, go back to work and function wow. before, they were before they were diagnosed with dementia. So, um, and they were, they were using interventions that that improved their sleep and sleep, food, like, you know, sleep, food, all, all, all of these things. And now wow. thanks, thanks to all the wisdom that we have now um, with quantum physics and autophagy and chronobiology, all of those have been incorporated into the treatment regimen as well. Um, fasting, all, all those things, and you're getting these remarkable benefits. So when, when I talk about all the things that, Patients worry about either they're seeing these things happen to themselves mm-hmm. or they're seeing it happen to, let's say, parents and loved ones as they're mm-hmm. aging. You're used to your parents being fit and healthy, and now you're yeah. seeing breakdown in them. Um, to be able to, to empower them to say, hey, this doesn't have to happen this way either. We can reverse tide is a huge thing. And you're starting to see all of this knowledge converge. So a lot of the pillars of let's say just functional medicine and cardiology and functional medicine and neurology are all starting to come up with these same conclusions that um, the model is showing. I still think we have a long way to go for this to, you know, these conversations to become mainstream, mm-hmm. but we also have to recognize that with each life that we touch, they're touching lives, you know, when they leave the clinic or whatever, wherever interface that you have with this person. And 
the world is going to change fast, better, faster than we think it will, as long as we stay the course and not get discouraged. Because that's that's the hard part, I think. What yeah. I see with my patients is that we'll have a fantastic conversation, super empowering. They're ready to go. They go out into their respective world, and you know, all of the information coming at them sometimes makes them have second thoughts. Yeah. Which is why it was important for us to design a program where we stayed in touch more frequently. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because you know, in the beginning days, I thought like, oh, let the patient come in when they need me because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want them to, you're always thinking about like, I don't want to ask, make them feel like I'm telling them to come back more because I just want to take money from them or something like that. And, um, I had to learn over time that the power of that relationship. And when I'm, when you have the right people in front of you, like that's, that's not what happens. They know that the intentions are good. And like, yeah, have been and that relationship though is so necessary for them yeah so sometimes like the exact opposite happened where the person feels like I don't want to have a relationship and that's not that's not that's not it at all it's it's a matter of being respectful but unfortunately in the world because we have so much assault and so much negative information coming at us yeah having a home place and a home tribe is really important for people it's so much more than just you know, let's review these labs here. No, it's a constant interface of reinforcing the positivity in their lives. Just like it was important for me to have a tribe, you know, the first time you and I met before I did the certification, it was like this, that was what it was about. It's like, I have to have other people that think like me that we can bounce ideas off of. And what happened when you saw this patient and, or how did you approach this and stay in the positive? instead of being torn down all the time. Cause you know, down here, I'm just like the crazy voodoo queen or something. That, <laughs> that, I don't know, but, um, but you know, it's, it, it's unfortunate that we're, that yeah. we're dealing with that when we just want to see people well. Yeah. But having a tribe and having a community is a, is very, very, very important. Yes. I, I agree. And yeah, in times in my life when I've had to make really deep, profound changes that were very difficult. The only way, the only way was by being around other people who understood and supported and had done the same thing. And so you provide that for your patients and we all provide it for each other. Cause that's, it's, we have to do this from, from the ground up, right? Like each one of us just deciding like, Hey, (laughs) this is, this this should be the future. So we're going to start living it and make it happen. (laughs) That's right. And I hope one day that there's a, you know, those of us that like, like when you started this, what I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm doing, that's the the side of it. Why I told you at the beginning, when we first started talking, like it took longer than I would have liked to, because there's no blueprint. I mean, yeah. you're trying to figure it out and you're making mistakes and you're like, that probably wasn't the best way to do that. Let me, let me, you know, reevaluate. So um, the more that we can create this tribe and, and help people accelerate the process of coming into our world, the better. Yes. Yes. Cause it's fun here. It's really fun. It's really fun. <laughs> but if we get called voodoo queens or worse, <laughs> Candace, thank you so, so much. This was delightful and uh, inspiring and um, educational. And so we will put, we will put some links for people to find you. Do you see people virtually? Or are you all in, or you're in person only? We are both. We're happy to see you any way we can get you. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay, that's great. So th- do you want to just say your website then in case someone doesn't make it to the show notes, we will also put it there. Yes, nightwellness.com. Very easy. K-N-I-G-H-T 
nightwellness.com. Okay. Like a knight in shining armor, nightwellness.com. <laughs> and you are, you and Dana are. So thank you so, so much. Thank you, Meredith. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.